friends, welcome to today's episode. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, Dave Lucas. Dave is not only one of my best friends, but he is a great marketer. He has a ton of experience in the B2B space, both on the client side and the agency side. In fact, he even worked at Symantle at one time. He has also led large-scale technology changes within a large matrixed organization. He's recently taken on a new role, however, he started his own company. He shares with us about how he's using his experience as a marketer in his business on a regular basis. I think Dave has a lot to teach us, and we're glad you're here for this conversation. So here it is, guys, my conversation with Dave Lucas. All right. Tell everyone who's listening just a little bit about Dave, your background, kind of your story, how you grew up, how you got started, because I think that's interesting. Even spent some time at Symantle. I did. I did. Before you went on to the real world. So (laughs) my original goal in life was to manage a radio station. I had a business degree and a radio degree. And after being on the air for several years, that was my plan. Well, that that didn't pan out. So a brief stand in radio and went to Caterpillar my first time uh, as a speechwriter. You know, I spent about a year as a speechwriter. As one of the those first three years, two in radio and one speechwriter, is virtually the only part of my career there wasn't marketing. Okay. Then I met some folks in the advertising group at Caterpillar. Ended up there for quite a few years. Worked in the video and television group for quite a few years, hosting, writing, producing, all of it. Then I went to Smale. 11 years in the agency wow. business. With a variety of roles. With a variety of roles. Went as a writer. Ended up being on the client service side a lot. And executive leadership in the two different places I worked. The agency business is... Wears you out, huh? Wears you out. <laughs> and 11 years was enough. So I went back to Caterpillar in an internal communication manager role. And then really, I think, ultimately found my passion going to Electric Power as the marketing manager for five years. And... The online space was relatively early for marketers, especially B2B, right? And so allowed us to do a lot of things. And then joined the business team, spent seven or eight years there, ended up as the global digital marketing manager until April of 18, took a few months off, and now 13 months into my own gig. Awesome. So let's dig into that role at CAT. So the last one you had where you were overseeing the e-business team, talk about the scope of that responsibility and how that grew over time and maybe some of the challenges and opportunities with that role. That's a long answer. I know. Um, The scope was big. The last two or three years I had the role, it included virtually everything you can imagine when it comes to the technology and tools needed for marketing digitally, right? From search to social to global website presence, to CRM, to customer data, to marketing automation, to content management, and all except maybe the last six months when we went through some reorgs to kind of start to split it a little. It was business strategy and marketing strategy through technology. We owned it all. So the scope was big. The team was pretty good size. I think at, at its peak, my team was 100, 110 people. And challenging, as you know, working with Caterpillar in a business unit-driven organization, there's a lot of there's a lot of players. There's a lot of organizations within the organization to 
appease and satisfy and have different needs and at times different customer base, at times the same customer base, but two different organizations and it gets it gets challenging. And I was there from the not the very beginning of the digital, but pretty close. And, you know, so we added pieces and parts on over the years and there were struggles with that and getting stuff off legacy systems, sometimes a borderline impossible feat. Right. So there were a lot of challenges, right? There were technology challenges, there were change management challenges, there was strategy alignment challenges, all that just come with a big matrix organization. It just Absolutely. does. We'll talk a little bit about, because I actually, as part of this podcast, interviewed one of your past leaders when you were in that role. You know, for somebody who's listening to this who maybe manages a, a highly complex website or is struggling with these same, you know, legacy technology issues, talk about the vision that you and your leadership set at that time and then, you know, sort of what you did to kind of drive toward that vision yeah. in a roadmap of sorts. Yeah. We could have never done it without that vision, right? And, and maybe that's a pretty obvious statement, but I suspect there's plenty of organizations out there who maybe now in 2019 that's not the case but probably even three or four years ago might have been where they were moving forward in the technology space the marketing technology space and and so on without a clear vision and i think there's probably a lot of people who have done that because they knew they needed these new tools and capabilities but what does that really mean so buy the technology before the strategy yeah which which i think is a very i think that's a very common problem and even though i think we had my boss, Jeff, right, I, at the time, I think he had the best vision of anybody I've ever worked with at that time and still today and probably ever. So we had the big vision and then we added, the reality is we added pieces along the way because there were, there were different segments of that journey. I think the first segment was just convincing the organization that in an industrial B2B world, and I would say time frame to give you some reference, this was probably 2009, 2010, right? industrial B2B world, these capabilities, these way of marketing to people, et cetera, have to be done too and it applies here, right? Mm -hmm. But at that time, I think there was still some skepticism that, ah, that's still a consumer world. And Jeff put the vision in place enough to say, people, which is where we are today, and I think most people get it, but again, looking back nine years, it was, People are consumers when they're not at work, Absolutely. right? And, and their experience there is going to drive their expected experience other, everywhere, right? And so I think our first stage was very much about change management and convincing okay. people. That there was even a need. That there was even a need. So we started that. Yep. Right? We started adding technology. We started implementing. We started proof of concepts like crazy. That's what started convincing people. Okay. proof of concepts and they could see results okay. they started to understand it. that was another segment of probably two or three years and, and then by that point at the end of that second sub-segment of the journey if you will that's then when we kind of were there and said okay now we have all the tools yeah. people are believers now people want to go faster right but then we uncovered a whole other challenge, right? One of those was technology because we made a purposeful decision at the time to buy the best of the best of each technology. And even though it wasn't that long ago, the consolidation and of you know having a 
whether it's Salesforce or Oracle, whoever, having a pretty complete marketing suite of marketing cloud capabilities, six, seven, eight years ago, that wasn't the case, right? right? So you were already ahead of the game. Yeah, so we kind of piecemealed it together, which did cause issues. I don't know that we could have done it any different. Right. So we had technology issues, right? And making things integrate and maybe having overlap in technologies and so on. So, So that was the next challenge. But I think the biggest challenge of that last one was moving fast enough. I'm sure a lot of you are listening to this thinking, okay, so I need to convince the org to try some things, make our technology and data speak to each other, and then move fast. It sounds simple, but it's something that is a struggle for a lot of marketers across the board. So I wanted Dave to dig into that a bit and tell me more about what that looked like, because by the point that Dave had taken this on, the group he was working within had lost its key leader, and it was all on him. What was your vision and what did that look like? And, you know, what were some of your, your wins and maybe some of the things you look back on and go, gosh, I wish I would have done that differently. Yeah. You know, now, now that I've been removed from it for a year plus, if we look at that journey, as you described, it was that last piece that was the hardest, right? I, I mean, convincing the organization's hard, but it's just, it's just a constant hit them with it, hit them with it, right? And, and doing things, luckily at that time, we had enough influence and authority or whatever the word you want to use, we could just go do it. And we did that. But ultimately, I think we started to at least have the right conversations with the right people. And that, that for me, was at a higher executive level okay. within the business units themselves. Okay. But I think it was when we started to play at a, more of a VP level or even at a group president level and got them to understand it because then we could get a couple of champions. And I think that's ultimately what it took. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying we, by the time I was gone that that was uh, smooth sailing, but you, you started to get a couple of executive champions in key business units. And in one sense, they could help drive the strategy with a little more, as much as I hate to say it because I was in that group, probably with a little bit more credibility, even though that wasn't their thing. Sure. They were the business, right? right? They were the business. So getting them on board and, and to preach, and then they could go to other business units and, and their leaders and, and start to get a little bit more, cooperation's not the right word, but a little more. Alignment. A little more alignment, okay. yeah. Okay. yeah. So I think that was the key, but that took a while sure. too, for sure. So that's good. It sounds like by getting the VPs aligned across the organization, and for those people who maybe don't know Caterpillar, just it is a highly yeah. matrix store. Yeah. A lot of times the, the different product groups and industry groups do drive the customer mm-hmm. strategy and sort of pull on the enterprise to support those right. needs. But getting that VP alignment probably also led to investment. It did. It absolutely Beyond technology. Beyond technology. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that allowed you to do some great things with new partners. It and did. Okay. It did. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's a great point. That was key. Because reality, they funded us, right? right. Being in a, we were, especially the last couple of years, being a service or internal service organization, they funded us. So so we had to tell a compelling story because they were, our, yeah. you know, they were our funds. So the last project you and I worked on together was what was being called sort of the dot-com transformation, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that was hugely high profile, yep. had executive level support. You were constantly doing the road show, which I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> can relate to, where yep. you're reporting out success and bringing everybody along. So tell us kind of that story. 
even though we started to get alignment, right? Caterpillar's in a lot of, it's a lot of different businesses, right? The power generation side or, or, or just power as a whole, the engine, what we, engine division, power generation's called, been called a lot of things. But definitely overlap with the construction side or the mining side, but in many cases, very, very different segments and sub-segments of business. So, so a lot of different customer experience, a lot of different customer needs. So aligning that and, and reflecting it on a, on a, a dot-com experience without us looking like five or six different companies was felt at times an impossible feat. Right, right. right. So that was challenging. The, the other piece was the global aspect of things. When I left, I believe this number's right, there were 23 cat.coms and those were virtually because of languages. Wow, right? okay. And the strategy around that, there were such strong pros and cons of the couple of different ways we looked at it, right? Is one, at least in its, when I left in its existing form was translated English sites. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point, it was country-based sites, which just didn't work because the resource wasn't there. Sure. There was just not resource there to do it. So then it transformed into regional sites, right? Regional sites that were translated. So there might be a Europe, European-based, if you will, a Southeast Asia version, a China version, et cetera, because products were different. What, what products were sold wasn't the same in every region. Seemed like a little bit better of approach, but even those regions, it was so big that you might have the European region that had picked the number eight different language sites. So the content was always the same. Mm-hmm. But even within there, from country to country, product was the same. So, so how we tackle that? You know, how do we fix this problem so it's applicable to everybody in the world wow. that that can buy our product, right. even though that product changes from border to border at times. Honestly, we never, by the time I left, we hadn't solved it. Okay. So those were clearly some of the obstacles. And So the magnitude of the problem The, the magnitude was, was massive. huge. It was so big. Right. It, it was so big. And so even trying to figure out how are we going to tackle it. Yeah, what do we do first? How do yeah. we do this? How do we get a common experience? It was interesting because as we dug into other especially the global problem as we dug into other companies who tried this, who had the same thing. There's a lot of global companies, right? Sure. A lot of them at that time hadn't even attempted it. It was like, they they would have a couple of different sites, right? They may do something in China and something in the U.S. Totally different sites, 100% separated from each other. Right. right? Which is probably the way to do it. Right. But that takes a lot more resources. Right. Yeah, I used the word by the end, disillusioned. It was tough. I mean, it, it was hard. And, and there were times where there was there was no solution in sight. Yeah, right? but yet you still had to come to work every day and show yeah, up and keep yeah, driving that forward. Yeah. So you mentioned April 2018. Yeah, you left the yeah, company. Yeah. And that's turned out to be a really great thing for you. But I want to understand what that looked like to start and decide you were going to go out on your own. Because I know you had many opportunities um, when you left Caterpillar and you weighed those heavily, but ultimately decided that you were going to give it a go. And that was super scary. (laughs) Yes, it was. It has turned out to be a good thing. Starting Lucas Partnering. Yeah. And even coming up with the name Lucas Partnering. Yes. Very intentional. (laughs) Very intentionally. What has that looked like? So going on my own was deep down shortly within a few days. I knew that's what I wanted to do. 
And to be fair, luckily in a position that I had some flexibility and I could choose my own path, but you know, I've met a lot of people in the last 18 months that chose their own path that didn't have the flexibility I have. And yeah. God, I respect the hell out of those <laughs> people, these people I've met, entrepreneurs out there. It's amazing. So how's it going? It's going great. As you know, because we, we chat about it, there are moments, right? I think it's just the ups and downs of being on your own. Scary, that, yeah. That I'm not sure I'll ever get used to, but it has gone really well. I, I look at where I am today, literally just over 13 months, and couldn't be happier. Is it exactly where I thought I would be doing the things I thought I would do? Not, not really. Well, and I want you to talk about that because... You know, when you told me you were going to start this, I had spent so much time in boardrooms with you, right. you know, right. around a meeting table, ideating. And I knew that was the space you love, but I didn't know how that was going to translate to yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so for sure. So I know you're still doing some yeah. of that, and that, that space of facilitation and helping people solve yeah. problems is like a true passion of yours. But you're also getting back to some of your roots yeah, of, you know, being creative. Yeah, I, I, and I, I, I forgot how much I loved that. And... I've gotten to the point at Caterpillar, like many people do as they get promotions over the years and stuff. Mine was about managing team, setting direction, dealing with multi-million dollar budgets, right? The execution part and even to some level the strategy behind the execution, I would weigh in, but that wasn't it. I missed that. I had been working at that other level enough that it's like, I'm not a marketer anymore. Right. You actually said that to me multiple times. (laughs) Yeah, I think I did. You're right. You were dealing with money. Right. It was budgets budgets and it was stakeholder management and it was all vitally important. And there were aspects about all that I did enjoy, but I wasn't a marketer anymore. And, you know, I said to you earlier before we started recording, as I'm finding myself doing things that if I had to shoehorn those into my job the last couple of years at Caterpillar would have driven me crazy. Why, why, I, why do I have to right. you know, create this presentation? And and getting back into it, I, it's great. So I'm doing a lot more execution. Now it's the, what I love about it. It's there's strategy involved because a lot of it is we don't necessarily know how to do this. Can you help us do this and do it? Right. And that's been great. You know, I, I told you the story earlier you know, just as a phenomenally recent example of a client bringing in me in on their data project, very much a consumer-based business. They have a lot of data. It's everywhere. Right. I mean, they have more They have more data than they probably can digest and do something with, partially because of the business they're in. And as I've gotten involved in this, I see, I see the same struggles, the same... I mean, my first meeting was a replay of 20 Caterpillar meetings in the <laughs> early days, it was just a different topic, sure. right? And it's like, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, but it makes you feel good. It's like, okay, I know how to help these people. Yeah. Right? And so there are a lot of similarities. It is phenomenally different doing it for yourself. I find myself opening up the computer on a Sunday night, you know, maybe watch TV, maybe sitting on the deck and doing an hour or two worth of work. And, but now you love I, it. Now I don't even think about That's it. That's awesome. Right? You don't yeah. even think about yeah. it. We always love to have our guests speak their truth and share with us their core beliefs that they have found to be true throughout their careers. Here's what Dave had to say. Well, 
I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want it to come across as holier than now or anything like that, right? But I think more and more, I just believe there are right and wrong ways to treat people, right? There's just right or wrong. Now there's a lot in the right space, a million different ways to do that. And there's a million different ways to do it in the wrong. And maybe there's a little gray area in the middle, but I don't think that gray area is as big as people think. Right. right? I think there's just there's just right and wrong in how to interact and deal with people in all walks of life, whether you're at work, whether you're not at work, etc. And and that just becomes more and more that just affects me more and more. What have been some of your when you look back at your career? biggest failures or moments where you're like, gosh, I took a lot from that experience. Wish I would have done it differently or... Yeah, there are a couple that immediately popped to mind. In my training days, when I was at the training organization, it was not a big company, right? There were a dozen employees. Employees that we had, with all due respect, I piecemealed things together, right? People come, hey, we think we can leverage them to do this and... And the way that whole situation ended and unfolded, and some of the issues people were having on the team at the time, and some of them were, there was a lot going on for a group of 12 that I, I won't get into specifics, but I look back on that, it's like that could have been handled so much better. Okay. Right? I, I think that. I, so that was a team dynamic issue? Yeah, it just, was very much a team dynamic. Yeah. There were individual things, but then those individual things manifest itself over the team dynamic too. And you probably grew a ton as a leader and that was Yeah, because it was, yeah. And I'd say I grew a lot there because I didn't handle things great. And I, and I, think, I think it was more of, it wasn't that I didn't handle them great. I didn't handle them, right? <laughs> you avoided I, them? Yeah, I think, I, I think that was my first instance of, being in a leadership role where because in that company I, I was at the top right there was I was at the top there was truly nobody else to turn to because the other more senior people were part of the individual issues that were going on so yeah I, I, I just I wish it's, there are days it's like man that could have been yeah. so much better yeah it's interesting your examples aren't anything specific about a project or initiative it's all about people yeah. Things I could have done differently leading yeah. down and leading yeah. up. It comes back to communication. And if there's one thing that I learned from you in our short time working together as client agency relationship, it was that you always had a perspective on the ways things needed to be said and the ways things needed to be communicated. And I think part of that's just your background, right? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, one thing on my list for you that maybe I think you have more ex- experience with than some others that I might speak to is what it looks like to work with large agencies mm. and consultancies. Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty, right? I mean, you're right. From marketing to technology, we worked with the biggest right? sure. in many cases and, and, and many smaller for sure. But so the first thing I would say is there are some really, really smart people at the big firms very capable, very conscientious, truly want to do a good job. But size can get in the way, right? The size can get in the way and the processes, which again, I worked at CAP 21 years, I get that big companies have to do these things, right? But in the digital space, 
where there are times you need tremendous simplification, times where you need to move fast, etc. I think sometimes the the bigger players that can be a problem. Now, logically, you would think they can move faster because they have a lot of resources. And I think once you know exactly what, I think once you get to the execution stage, that's that's a fair statement. But I think sometimes from a uh, at least my experience from a planning to the beginning of the execution can get very cumbersome because yeah. of processes and size and different the, the amount of people that weigh in. Like any big right. company, right. Again, it's not because their people aren't capable; yeah. they are phenomenally capable. Do you think that there's another way, especially when you're you know headcount constrained, which yeah. is the fact of so many partners that do need to outsource? even before I became one myself, I'm all about looking for resources outside, right? I think it's where the newest ideas come from. It's clearly, they have to stay up on things. They have to be on the front edge and the cutting edge of things. They just have to or they won't survive. I'm a big, big advocate of outside resources, especially depending on the kind of company you're in, right? Caterpillar is a manufacturer. Not that they shouldn't have marketing resources internally, et cetera, et cetera, or a lot of, a million other companies that you can name like that. I don't know. I, you know, I, I go back and forth, to be honest with you. I, I, I think you can have too many players. But with that being said, I'm also a believer of putting multiple partners in a room together and say, you've got to, you, you guys have to figure out how you work together to, to help us. Absolutely. Um, which isn't always easy either, right? as you know. You've been on that other end. What do you think? The other end of the... Well, I mean, so you're, you're, a, you're a partner, right, of a lot of great brands. Are you better off consolidating? Is there benefit to small? Or sure. Any, I mean, what well, I mean, not to sound trite, but it really depends on the need, right? Yeah. And I, I pride myself, I hope, on being super honest with our clients on where we can best support yeah. and where we're not the best partner yeah. and where we can collaborate. So, in fact, I just had lunch with a new client yesterday and that's one of the things I love to do is help people understand their partnership ecosystem and how we can bring those folks yeah, together. It's best when the client does a really good job of defining roles and responsibilities among yeah. those folks. Otherwise, it can be inefficient for all parties. Um, and Maybe they don't get the best out of that. But I think yeah. that's a great point. I, I think... I guess that's what I think of now that you put it that way is when I say there are things I, I probably could have done better in, in managing. There's a lot of burden on the clients. There should be a lot of burden on the client size to, to define those things. And I, I think sometimes I, I think that's an area I could have done better is yeah. your role's this, your role's this, your role's right. this. And, and Cut out should. the awkwardness. Yeah. Just tell right. them what you need them right. to do and, and your expectations yeah. of working together. That makes our lives so much easier. Right. Well, we're coming up on our time, and I just wanted to um, kind of, the last segment is called Ask Another. So I'm going to ask you a question that one of okay. my past interviewees okay. would like to know, and then I would like you to be thinking about a question okay. that you might pass on to someone else. Okay. So the question that I got from actually my last interview was pretty broad. Um, she wants to know, where are we going next? as you know functional marketers right. and she doesn't mean just you know um, technology related sure. or the next buzzword but how did the how is the job actually changing here's the most common denominator in the conversations i have today you may not call it this right but it is storytelling 
people, companies, whether they always have or not, I, you can make that argument all day long. But I think more and more companies are understanding in today's technology-driven world, their message is about, it's got to connect with people, right? And we can, you can use all the data and technology in the world, which I'm a huge fan of to make sure they're right ad based on this data pops up on their social media feed at the right time, et cetera, right? We have all the capabilities to do that and be as targeted as possible. But what are you telling them when you do that? Right. And I think companies are realizing uh, that maybe we haven't put enough time and effort into that. Sure. What is the message? And you know, I have clients in healthcare, I have clients in manufacturing, I have clients in banking, and just those three, all working on storytelling, right? And, we, and, and again, one of them calls it that. <laughs> the other two don't. In fact, if I threw it in front of my manufacturing group, that would probably look at me and say, what is he talking about? But that's it, right? They want to connect. They want that human connection. And what better way to, than to tell real stories? Yeah. Because yeah. it comes back to us still all people, right? Right, and We want right. that connection. Right. Yeah, even in the industrial space, there's humans on the other side. Well, Dave, we'll end with your question. We've talked about a lot. What are some things that you're struggling with, or you know, what what's been weighing heavy on your mind that you would love some answers to? So here's my question: It's not necessarily personal to me that weighs on my mind, but it's I would say a little more forefront right now that I'm just curious how a more senior person in organization respond to this. Two or three weeks ago, it was all over the news of this long list of CEOs writing this letter saying, we are paraphrasing grossly maybe, paraphrasing that we we understand that maybe our most important role is to take care of our people, take care of our community, take care of our world, etc. Right? And now a lot of big names, name CEOs signed it, including Caterpillar. And that, that maybe that's got to supersede a stockholder return and those sorts of things. I don't know that you're going to talk to any of those CEOs, but I'm curious of people who work in the large organizations or even smaller organizations. Do they believe that's possible? And how are they going to make that possible? Yeah. I mean, I know that's a bigger question, than, but that's intrigued the heck out of me since I saw that. And I thought it was... a amazingly well done mm-hmm. but the skeptical part of me says that sounds like a really good thing mm-hmm. to say can you do it mm-hmm. and the optimistic part of me says that's great how are you going to do that yeah right? that's exciting do you think that you knowing that that is a value that holds true have found even small ways to make that a reality in your day-to-day I don't know. That's a great question. I think being part of a bigger organization, I think I've, I think my approach to managing people brought that. But now that I don't manage people, I don't know. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, we're going full circle here. You ask me a question that I don't know the answer. Well, maybe I'll have you back on the podcast. <laughs> And see if you've put that question to work. Okay. And I most certainly will ask it of others because I think it's a really important one. Cool. Um, and I've actually had some some past participants hint towards, you know, at the end of the day, it is about people. It's yeah. about living through our values. And those are the kinds of companies you want to work for. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, thank you again for being here. Thank you for being my friend, one of my most important friends and one of my most important leaders. And I just congratulate you on all the things you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, guys, there you have it. Dave Lucas. I hope that each of you have been able to take something away from Dave today. For me, Dave embodies the kind of manager that most marketers want to have. He's transparent, he's as honest as he can be, and he always puts his people first. We'll share more of the work Dave is doing through his new company on our website, marketingsweats.com, so be sure to check it out. We hope you'll tune in to our next episode, where we'll be talking with Andy Montgomery, who serves as a sales and marketing executive at LG Seeds and carries over 20 years in the agriculture industry. Andy has some great insights for us as marketers, and we don't want you to miss it. We'll see you next week. So long, marketers. Marketers.